1: Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show.
2: Well, good afternoon and welcome back to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to be back in studio after spending a couple of days at the Restored Hope Network conference in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Today we're going to share a conversation I had with John Fortmeyer. He's the founder, the director, the editor of Christian News Northwest. They have been servicing the Christian community, for 25 years this month. So looking forward to sharing that conversation with you. But first, some of the headlines from the last couple of days. The families of two U.S. citizens have said that they, that the pair died suddenly while visiting the Dominican Republic. They were um, identified as Chris Palmer, a 41-year-old Army veteran from Kansas who died in April of 2018, and Barbara Diane mazer mitchell a 69-year-old retired nurse from Pennsylvania who died in September of 2016 after falling critically ill at a resort. The State Department confirmed their deaths on Thursday. The two would bring the total of U.S. citizens known to have died while visiting the Dominican Pro- Republic rather to 11. Most of those deaths uh, that have become matters of public record occurred in 2018 and 2019. Mazur Mitchell's deaths are the earliest uh, reported so far. Navy prosecutors are still pursuing murder charges against Special Operations Chief Edward Gallagher, even after bombshell testimony on Thursday by a Navy colleague who confessed that he was the one to kill a teenage Islamic fighter, state fighter. Special Operator First Class Corey Scott, a SEAL Team 7 medic, testifying for the prosecution under an immunity agreement, told the court that he held the teen's thumb over his IT tube until he quit breathing, admitting that he asphyxiated the captive despite saying that he saw Gallagher stab the boy in the neck. When cross-examined by the defense, Scott said he killed the fighter because he knew he was going to die anyway. I wanted to save him from what was going to happen to him next, Scott said, referring to alleged torture by Iraqi captors. And Roy Moore, the scandal-scarred Republican who lost a 2017 bid for the U.S. Senate in Alabama, announced on Thursday that he will run again for Senate next year, despite President Trump and other conservatives in Washington insisting he can't win. Yes, I will run for the United States Senate in 2020, Moore said during a defiant announcement in Montgomery, after railing against the Republicans who have said they oppose his candidacy. Can I win, Moore said? Yes, I can. Not only can I, Um, They know I can. That's uh, the why that there's such opposition. Uh, Donald Trump Jr., the president's son, mocked Moore, specifically a report that Moore said he would improve on his previous run by engaging in more personal contact with people. And President uh, Trump announced military strikes against Iran in in retaliation for downing an American surveillance drone, but pulled back from launching them on Thursday night after a day of escalating tensions. And the Senate voted to block the president's Saudi arms deal on Thursday, paving the way for a veto clash with the White House. The 22 arms sales, estimated to be worth $8 billion, will provide weapons to Saudi Arabia as well as the United Arab Emirates and Jordan. Neither chamber is expected to be able to muster the two-thirds votes necessary to override all but guaranteed vetoes from the president in response. And the former Sheila Jackson Lee staffer who posted the private information of Republican senators during the final hearings for then Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh has been sentenced to four years in prison for his crime. It's called docking and uh, that is not permitted under law. The National Rifle Association has sidelined its top lobbyist, Chris Cox. After accusing him in court documents of participating in what it called a failed extortion scheme to rid the organization of its top executive, the Washington Post reports as its core um, that uh, this is a contest of titan personalities. And President Trump plans to issue an executive order to compel the disclosure of prices in health care. The order will direct federal agencies to initiate regulations and guidance that could require insurers, doctors, hospitals and others in the industry to provide information about the negotiated and often discounted cost of care. And Los Angeles County has started the process of removing from its registration rolls an estimated 1.5 million inactive voters who have moved, died or become ineligible to cast a vote. Uh, an effort to comply with federal election law and a court settlement with Judicial Watch, a conservative watchdog. In addition, California's top election official has put all 58 of its counties on notice that they must also purge inactive voters from their rosters. There were an estimated 5 million inactive registrations in the state as of November of 2016, the latest figures Available. And gun advocates in New Zealand are angry over a government plan aimed at buying back now illegal firearms and magazines that were outlawed after a mass shooting in March that killed dozens of worshippers at two mosques in Christchurch. A Council of Licensed Firearms Owners spokesman, Nicole McKee, said gun owners are angry and they're frustrated because the government reneged on a promise not to rip us off. They said they would pay full value. They're not. And the 250,000 firearms license holders are starting to feel ripped off, she said. And Iran's recent attacks on tankers and the downing of a U.S. surveillance drone appear to be part of an effort to change the status quo. That's a quote from the director of the Defense Intelligence Agency. I'd say that they're probably at an inflection point right now, the Director, Lieutenant General Robert Ashley Jr. explained in his first national TV interview as the leader of the nearly 17,000-strong agency. Director Ashley said based on their activity over the last several years, the Iranians would probably say that they were in a favorable position with their influence over the Iraqi government and the likelihood their longtime regional ally, ally, Syrian President Bashar al-Assad, will remain in power. But Director Ashley said the United States withdrawal from the Iran deal and subsequent sanctions made a major impact on the regime. His comments come as the president has promised to impose new sanctions, which were announced earlier today against Iran, on top of uh, what has already been a crippling campaign for the Islamic nation's economy. In an interview on NBC's Meet the Press, he said he does not wish to go to war with Iran, but warned an armed conflict would bring obliteration like you've never seen before, end quote. An Iranian military official warned Monday that Tehran is capable of shooting down more American spy drones, And we'll continue to follow the story as it develops. Well, days before the first Democratic primary presidential debate on Wednesday, it appears the various potential challengers to the president in 2020 are battling to set the tone and stand. Now, some critics may argue that some of the 2020 Dems are trying to out-radicalize each other. Senator Bernie Sanders announced today a policy proposal that would eliminate all $1.6 trillion of American student debt. Some 2020 candidates may seek to regain some of the momentum they lost to upstart Pete Buttigieg, who had a pretty bad weekend after a fatal shooting there. The South Bend, Indiana, mayor faced criticism in a town hall on Sunday from residents angered over a white police officer's fatal shooting of a black man on the 16th of this month. Meanwhile, former Vice President Joe Biden, the 2020 Democratic frontrunner, plans to introduce his immigration policy as the debate Uh, at uh, over the border wall and how to deal with illegal immigration rages on in Washington. The trouble is there will be so many candidates and so little time for any of them to go into any detail to provide context. Uh, It's going to be a challenge for any of them to stand out um, from their peers if they're trying to gain some traction from this singular event. And President Trump over the weekend delayed a planned mass roundup of by Immigration and Customs Enforcement for two weeks and hopes, he says, that a bipartisan solution to the asylum and loophole problems at the southern border can be reached. Lawmakers, however, have their doubts. Democrats reportedly would rather focus on a comprehensive immigration overhaul or measures to fund the asylum process at the border. Republicans would rather focus on legislation limiting asylum options and on building Trump's proposed border wall. So much for a solution. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break. We're winding our way through some of the headlines over the last several days. In the second hour, we're going to share a conversation with John Fortmeyer. Twenty five years, Christian News Northwest has been informing the Christian community. We'll give you a little bit of the backstory.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Glad to be back in studio after spending a weekend away at the National Conference for Restored Hope Network. In our second hour today, we're going to share a conversation I had with John Fortmeyer, marking the 25th anniversary of Christian News Northwest. He'll be joining the program at 5 o'clock. A University of Utah student who disappeared after ordering a lift in Utah was still missing on Sunday, nearly a week after she was last seen. Mackenzie Luke, 23, was flying to Salt Lake City from Los Angeles after attending a funeral last weekend. The Salt Lake City Police Department said she arrived at the airport on June 17th, ordered a Lyft rideshare uh, to an address in North Salt Lake City. Uh, investigators said she was last seen in the early morning hours of Monday. I'm just a little skeptical. I know there are ways that you can confirm that the very person that you have uh, been contracted to ride with is that person. Um, but it's a little little scary to me. Anyway, the Flying walindas conquered the Big Apple on Sunday night. Nick Welinda, a seventh-generation acrobat, and his sister Luana Walenda, coming back after a near-fatal accident in 2017 when she broke nearly every bone in her face. Every Nearly every bone in her face. And she's... At it again. Anyway, she crossed Times Square with her brother in New York City on a high wire between skyscrapers 25 stories above the pavement. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to you, Holy God, Luana uh, said on air as she crossed the wire. The siblings walked from opposite ends of the 1,300 foot wire suspended between the towers, crossing each other in the middle as she sat on the wire. They were listening to Christian gospel music as they crossed, and they were wearing tethered safety harnesses mandated by the city. In case they fail. So I guess that would give you a little courage if you knew you wouldn't fall to your death or that you would break the remaining bones in your face, uh, as was the case back in 2017. Well, Friday night, the president announced his intent to nominate Army Secretary Mark Esper to the next secretary or rather to be next secretary of defense. Mr. Trump had tweeted last week that Esper would replace acting defense secretary Patrick Shanahan, who stepped away uh, from that position. Senator Elizabeth Warren came out in favor of legislation that has been equated to gay reparations under the Refund Equality Act. Same-sex couples would be able to amend their past taxes, readjusting with jointly filed tax returns and accepting funds from the IRS. And dozens of officials, uh, official documents rather, suggest that Representative Ilhan Omar, a Democrat out of Minnesota, was just there was living with her current husband, Ahmed Hirsi, throughout her entire legal marriage to Ahmed Elmi, contradicting the story she tells uh, to explain her multiple marriages. Now, it's only relevant because she um, uh, swore in uh, documents that are subject to her being held accountable to the contrary. So there are efforts in Minnesota to unseat her that are just based on Um, her experience in uh, in Washington, but there's also an effort to get to the bottom of what seems to be a a crumbling story. Vermont is expanding its Medicaid coverage to cover gender affirmation surgery for transgender patients under 21 who wish to undergo the procedure. Vermont's Medicaid insurance uh, will now cover surgeries linked to gender dysphoria for minors who have obtained parental consent. Minors from 16 to 18 who have been legally emancipated from their parents are eligible for coverage without parental consent. And a British judge has authorized doctors to perform an abortion on a pregnant Catholic woman with developmental disabilities and a mood disorder, despite the objections of the woman's mother and the woman herself. The woman is 22 weeks pregnant. And Cook County State Attorney Kim Fox's handling of the controversial Jesse Smollett allegations of hate crimes Uh, including the contentious decision to suddenly drop all charges against him, will be examined by a special prosecutor, according to an Illinois judge, ruling on Friday afternoon. And on this day in 1997, the U.S. Air Force released a report on the so-called Roswell incident, suggesting the alien bodies that witnesses uh, reportedly saw in 1947 were actually life-sized dummies. It may be resolved in the Army's uh, or the Air Force's uh, But there are lots of people who don't uh, accept that. And in 1957, on this day, the U.S. Supreme Court in Roth versus the United States ruled six to three that obscene materials are not protected by the First Amendment on this day in 1983. The space shuttle Challenger carrying America's first woman in space, Sally K. Ride. A coast to a safe landing at Edwards Air Force Base in California. And on this day in 1992, the Supreme Court, in a 5-4 decision, strengthens its 30-year ban on officially sponsored worship in public schools, prohibiting prayer as a part of graduation ceremonies. On this day in 2012, Mohamed Morsi, a member of the Muslim Brotherhood, is announced as the winner of Egypt's presidential elections And as you might recall, he was uh, about to stand trial and dropped dead just last week. Finally, on this day in 2018, Saudi Arabia lifts its ban on female drivers. Well, as referenced earlier, President Trump struck back on Monday at Iran by issuing hard hitting financial sanctions against Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khomeini and his associates. Today's actions, the president said, follows a series of aggressive behaviors by the Iranian regime in recent weeks, including shooting down a U.S. drone. The president was speaking from the Oval Office, calling Khomeini responsible for the hostile conduct of the regime. President Trump said the sanctions will deny the Supreme Leader and the Supreme Leader's office and those closely affiliated with him and the office's uh, access to key financial resources and support. Speaking to reporters in the White House briefing room, On Monday, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin said the sanctions lock up literally billions of dollars more of assets. Along with that action today, we are also announcing specific actions targeting those responsible for recent activities, Mnuchin said, adding that the president has instructed him to sanction Iran's foreign minister, Javed Zarif, uh, later this week. The Treasury Department in its news release said any foreign financial institution that knowingly facilitates a significant financial transaction for entities designated under this executive order could be cut off from U.S. financial system. Amid the newly announced sanctions, it's been confirmed that the U.S. military also carried out a cyber attack against Iran last Thursday, even as the president nixed plans for airstrikes in response to the downing of an American drone. Sources say the U.S. Cyber Command launched the cyber attack targeting the Iranian intelligence and radar installations used to down the U.S. Navy drone last week. It's also been learned that Iran shut off some of its military radar sites around the time the U.S. was poised to launch retaliatory strikes. It's not clear if those radar sites were uh, turned off by the cyber attack or if Iran shut them off deliberately in anticipation. Uh, Yahoo News first reported on the retaliatory cyber attack. It came as the White House and the Pentagon were also considering military strikes. But again, the president revealed last Friday that he called those off after learning up to 150 Iranians could be killed. And the president announced on Saturday that a planned mass roundup of illegal immigrants by Immigration and Customs Enforcement is being delayed for two weeks in the hope that a bipartisan solution to the border crisis can be reached. At the request of Democrats, I have delayed the illegal immigration removal process deportation for two weeks to see if the Democrats and Republicans can get together and work out a solution to the asylum and loophole problems at the southern border. He tweeted, if not deportations will start. Well, the tweet came after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi called Trump on Friday and urged him to call off the raids, a source familiar with the situation reported. The Washington Post said that Friday, ICE was expecting to target 2,000 families in up to 10 cities across the U.S. after Trump had announced earlier this week that ICE will begin the process of removing millions who have illicitly found their way into the United States. I said in a statement on Friday that due to law enforcement sensitivities and the safety and security of U.S. Immigration Customs Enforcement personnel, the agency will not offer specific details related to enforcement operations. However, it did say the ICE priorities arresting and removing those in the country who's, who pose rather, a threat to national security, public safety, and border security. Despite fierce opposition um, in targeted cities, the president Uh, Had stood by the plan earlier Saturday, saying that everybody who came into the country illegally will be brought out of the country very legally. He also dismissed the Democratic opposition on Saturday, saying they were mostly high crimes cities. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're winding our way through some of the uh, top headlines of the day. We're also going to talk with John Fortmeyer, celebrating 25 years as founder and editor, director of Christian News Northwest. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back here in just a few moments.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on this Monday afternoon, winding our way through some of the top news stories of the day. Acting Homeland Security Secretary Kevin MacLean is being accused of leaking plans last week for the scheduled Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE raids, after expressing fierce opposition and allegedly ordering top officials to stand down on the operation. A source familiar with the matter said that when the operation was in its planning phase two weeks ago, McCannahan Uh, ordered ICE acting director Mark Morgan to call off the deportation operation that was expected to target 2,000 uh, in up to 10 cities across the country. The president ordered that Morgan continue as planned uh, until he abruptly announced Saturday he was delaying the raids to see if Congress uh, could work out a solution to the asylum and loophole problems at the southern border. The source said that the Homeland Security official had been planning the raid since April, prior to former acting ICE director Ron Vitellio's uh, departure from the administration with a DHS staffing shakeup, and that McLean had uh, been opposed to the plans from the very start. So some internal back and forth there. Meanwhile, House Democrats blinked on Sunday when Speaker Nancy Pelosi announced they will vote this week to grant at least part of the president's emergency border funding to deal with the humanitarian crisis. The move was made just a day after Mr. Trump said, or I should say at Ms. Pelosi's behest, agreed to put off a round of deportations for two weeks. Her new bill does not appear to fit the, the bill, however, at least the president's. She said it will grant Mr. Trump the emergency humanitarian money he has requested to provide better care for the migrant children and families who are overwhelming the border. But she said it will not support the rest of the president's plans. This legislation provides urgently needed humanitarian assistance for families, including funding for food, shelter, clothing, medical care and legal assistance and will relieve the horrific situation of overcrowding and help prevent additional deaths. Even as she agreed to give him some of the money he wants, she took a swipe at the president, blaming him for the border crisis that Democrats just a few months ago doubted and even called manufactured. The president failed policies have exacerbated the situation at the border where vulnerable children endure inhumane conditions that threaten their health, well-being and sometimes tragically their lives. Well, it's a bit disingenuous given the fact that Congress has the authority and only Congress has the authority to resolve this Issue. House Democrats are playing catch up to the Senate, which cleared a $4.6 billion emergency spending through committee last week on a near unanimous vote. Led by Republicans, the Senate bill included all of the money the president requested to fund the health department's unaccompanied alien children program, which is in danger of running out of money without infusion. The Senate bill also funds some of the Pentagon's troop deployments and includes money for customs and border protection and for more immigration judges. Though it does not include money for bed space that the president wanted for immigration and customs enforcement or ice. Senators will give final approval to their bill in the floor vote this week, but it's not clear whether they'll be able to reach an agreement with the House on a final bill before they leave for an independent day, independence day vacation at the end of this week. Uh, Nancy Pelosi also made no overtures to work on the border factors, uh, drawing the illegal immigrants to the United States, lax policies that require the government to quickly release children and families into the community, making their deportations nearly impossible. Of those who arrived in 2017, 95 percent are still in the U.S., according to ICE. The president had ordered a major deportation operation that was to begin on Sunday with the hope against hope that somehow Congress might resolve some of the issues um, that are at least most pressing. The Environmental Protection Agency on Wednesday announced a new rule to grant more flexibility for states in regulating coal-fired power plants, and that would replace the Obama-era regulation that has halted—that uh, was halted rather by the U.S. Supreme Court. The Affordable Clean Energy Rule under the Trump administration replaces the Obama administration's Clean Power Plan which would have required an eventual energy policy shift for the entire power grid from uh, coal to natural gas. The Trump EPA rule sets up emissions guidelines for states to apply when crafting their own plans to limit carbon emissions as at coal fired power plants. I do expect some litigation, but I also expect this to prevail in court. We pay very close attention to the past court president. We are following the Clean Air Act, a quote from EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler speaking to the Daily Signal during a press gaggle after an hour-long event at the EPA headquarters in Washington that included members of Congress, uh, administration officials, business and union leaders, and coal miners in an audience of about 200. Attorneys, generals of, Attorneys General from uh, 27 states had sued the Obama Clean Power Plan, arguing that it exceeded the authority of Congress and what had been granted the EPA under the Clean Air Act, by setting measures that couldn't be achieved by individual coal-burning plants. The Supreme Court issued a stay on that rule back in February of 2016. There were people in the Obama administration saying, we don't know if this is going to be upheld or not, but we think this is going to force the industry to comply, Wheeler said. Uh, they were trying to direct public policy without following the law. What we are trying to do is follow the four corners of the Clean Air Act, the previous district court and Supreme Court precedent, and put forward a regulation that can stand up to court challenges and will be implemented across the board. Again, the EPA replacing the uh, plan that uh, was put into place by the Obama administration and rejected by the court. Americans shouldn't have to put up with so many government regulations imposed by unelected bureaucrats. So says Senator Mike Lee, Republican out of Utah on Tuesday, while outlining a legislative remedy. If the founders rallying cry was no taxation without representation, ours must be or must at least involve no regulation without representation, Lee said at a think tank On Capitol Hill. Well, he said he introduced the Take Care Act as the third part to a a conservative legislative program that seeks to reduce the size and impact of administrative agencies, what he called the headless fourth branch of the federal government. The Utah Republican officially introduced the bill on the 12th of June with Senator Josh Hawley out of Missouri. We've given the modern administrative state 80 good years. That's a nice long try. It's bad. We've got to undo it, he says. Well, Lee told his Heritage audience that regulatory rules written and enforced by unelected administrators violate Article 1, Section 7 of the Constitution, which declares that all laws must be passed through both chambers of Congress and be signed into law by the president. The proposed Take Care Act, Lee said, would solve the problem by allowing the president to use his constitutional power to remove upper level agency officers who aren't faithfully executing the law. Uh, Currently, Lee said executive branch officials may be removed only for committing an act of misconduct such as inefficiency, neglect of duty or malfeasance in office, and they're protected against being removed for political reasons. He argued that this change would make the bureaucracy accountable to the people again. The way to accomplish that goal, while not easy by any stretch of the imagination, is itself straightforward, Lee said. We need only look at the structural design of the Constitution and the form of the administrative state equivalent. This is so simple. It's one of the simplest features of our Constitution, and it's also the most important. He's the author of the related book, Our Lost Declaration, America's First, or rather, America's Fight Against uh, Tyranny from King George to the Deep State. Said that because Congress today delegates the majority of its lawmaking to unelected, unaccountable regulatory agencies, this abuse of legislative power is much more concerning than executive tyranny. Our constitutional obligation to write laws we have handed over to bureaucrats who are in no way chosen by the people, in no way accountable to the people. We've delegated that which 18th century French political philosopher Charles de Montesquieu uh, described as something that cannot, should not, must not be delegated. The power to make law involves the power to destroy all sorts of things, and so that's why it was entrusted only to that branch of government most accountable to the people at the most regular intervals. Well, he said that although some have expressed concern that that his bill would give the president too much power, political constraints such as the Senate's uh, advice and consent role in executive nominations would ensure that agency officials could fulfill their responsibilities without undue interference. He said, I'd still rather have the president act as president, Lee said, and I'd say that even if we're talking about some future president with whom I would uh, likely disagree a lot, let's say future president Elizabeth Warren, I would rather have even that president wield the executive power than an unknown uh, technocrat. Well, Lee went on, went so far rather, to say that more powerful executive is preferable to a so-called expert government administrator, and that's why Congress should pass his legislation. The unknown, nameless, faceless bureaucrat, however well-educated, well-intentioned, hardworking and highly specialized, would not have to answer to the American people. Not ever. Is bill is designed to change that. Well, for the sprawling field of Democrats vying to challenge President Trump, the summer could mean breakout or bust. Twenty of the 24 Democrats running for president are set to participate in nationally televised debates this week, beginning on Wednesday, But at this early stage of the primary, Americans are directing most of their attention to just five candidates. Joe Biden, a two-term vice president under former President Obama and a six-term senator from Delaware, has led in polls against his rivals, arguing that his experience makes him the best-positioned Democrat to defeat President Trump. Yet in recent days, Mr. Biden's shifting positions on federal funding of abortion, his nostalgia over working with segregationist senators, have drawn more attention to his long legislative history and given other candidates a chance to stand out by confronting him. How many candidates do you think will remain in the Democratic primary field through the fall? Well, that remains to be seen. After Mr. Biden, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg and California Senator Kamala Harris are in a clear tier. Above the rest of the uh, candidates in recent surveys, multiple national polls released in June have shown those five candidates atop a field in roughly that order, with Mr. Sanders and Ms. Warren and Mr. Buttigieg and Ms. Harris trading places in a handful of cases. Those debates begin tomorrow with 10 uh, Democrats uh, in each of the two debates. There's no children's table in this one. Uh, They were drawn by lots, and although it's heavily weighted in the first debate, uh, and Elizabeth Warren stands essentially alone with the lesser candidates in the second. Uh, it is designed to be of equal value and import in the process of choosing the Democrat nominee. Forty-six minutes after four o'clock, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety-three point nine KPDQ.
2: We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on this Monday afternoon. Coming up in our second hour, we'll talk with John Fortmeyer. He's the editor, the founder, the director, Christian News Northwest, celebrating 25 years of reporting Christian news in our community. Bernie Sanders, the 2020 hopeful who will be on the debate stage this week, uh, is set to announce and did a policy proposal that would eliminate all $1.6 trillion of American student debt. Uh, The Democratic presidential candidate's uh, proposal calls for the federal government to wipe clean the student debt held by 45 million Americans, including all private and graduate school debt. The Washington Post points out the proposal packages also uh, include um, making public universities, community colleges and trade schools tuition free. Now, how this is all paid for that's a little murkier Sanders reportedly planned uh, announced rather to uh, plans to pay for the lofty proposal with a tax on Wall Street which his campaign says will generate more than two trillion dollars over ten years the tax would focus on financial transactions the report said such as a 0.5 percent tax on stock transactions and a 0.1 percent tax on bonds Sanders um, will be um, uh, Uh, Introduce the legislation uh, in the House, uh, joined by Ilhan Omar to eliminate all student debt. Uh, They will be joined by Pamela Jayapal, uh, co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. This is truly a revolutionary proposal. Everyone agrees with that, said Sanders in a statement. Uh, In a generation hard hit by the Wall Street crash of 2008, it forgives all student debt and ends the absurdity of sentencing an entire generation to a lifetime of being responsible for debt they signed up to pay. Now, the system certainly needs to be overhauled. I'm not sure this is the way to go about it. By the way, Senator Elizabeth, well, I'm sure it's not the way, but Senator Elizabeth Warren, another 2020 hopeful, announced in April a plan to cancel existing student loan debt for millions of Americans. Under her plan, every person's student debt would uh, get a relief of $50,000 if household income is up to $100,000. Higher incomes would also be eligible to Massive debt reductions, while only those households uh, with earnings of over 250,000 would get no debt uh, reduction at all. Both will be on the debate stage, although not at the same time. The Supreme Court ruled 7-2 to 2 on Thursday that a cross-shaped war memorial on public land in Maryland doesn't violate the Constitution. In the case of American Legion versus the American Humanist Association, the atheist group had sued seeking removal of the 40-foot peace cross in Prince George's County, just outside D.C., contending that the World War I memorial was contrary to the separation of church and state. A supermajority, however, on the court... Uh, uh, that is often closely divided on hot-button issues, determine the history of the Peace Cross erected in Blandensburg, Maryland, doesn't indicate a promoted um, a promoted religion, Christianity, and honoring 49 local men who died in the war. For nearly a century, the Blandensburg uh, Cross has expressed the community's grief at the loss of the young men who perished, its thanks for their sacrifice, and its dedication to the ideals of which, uh, for which they fought. That's a quote from Justice Samuel Alito in the majority opinion for the court. Alito went on to quote Justice Stephen Breyer's words from a previous case, also hinging on the Constitution's Establishment Clause. It has become a prominent community landmark, and its removal or radical alteration at this date would be seen by many not as a neutral act, but as a manifestation of a hostility toward religion that has no place in our Establishment Clause traditions, Alito wrote. Chief Justice John Roberts and Justices Elena Kagan and Brett Kavanaugh, Clarence Thomas and Neil Gorsuch joined Alito and Breyer in the majority. Authority. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Sonia Sotomayor uh, dissented. The Trump administration's Justice Department supported keeping the uh, the Peace Cross, a local landmark situated in a traffic circle. The high court, in its ruling, shot down a fourth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruling that determined the memorial was unconstitutional, siding with the plaintiffs who argued it violated the separation of church and state. The cross-shaped monument, constructed between 1990, 1919 and 1925, stands on property owned by the Maryland National Capital Park and Planning Commission, a government agency created by the state of Maryland. Um, The American Humanist Association represented some of the uh, county residents. They sued in 2014 to force removal of the monument, naming both the park and the Planning Commission and the American Legion, which originally helped pay for it. This is a landmark victory for religious freedom. The days of illegitimately weaponizing the Establishment Clause and attacking religious symbols in public are over. Kelly Shackleford, President of First Liberty, a law firm defending religious freedom that litigated the case said in a formal statement, our, fo- our founders referring to the country would uh, would have been appalled at this attempt to make the government hostile to our religious heritage, history, and symbols. The American Humanist Association said it would move to limit the scope of that ruling. Also, the Supreme Court refused Monday to rule on a case challenging the president's 25 percent tariffs on steel imports into the United States that was imposed last year. The decision, which the justices did not immediately comment on, will leave in place the U.S. Court of International Trade's ruling from March that allowed the president's tariffs. In March of uh, last year, the president imposed 25 percent tariffs on imported steel and 10 percent tariffs on imported aluminum or aluminium, if you're from the U.K. Argentina, Australia, Brazil and South Korea were exempted from the tariffs. Canada and Mexico were also exempt starting in May. Reuters reported that the president cited national security as the reason to implement the tariffs under Section 232 of the 1962 Trade Expansion Act. Again, the Supreme Court has rejected the challenge to the president's tariffs on imported steel. The Supreme Court also struck down part of a federal law blocking trademarks for names or logos bearing immoral or scandalous images, including profanity and sexual imagery. The justices said in a unanimous ruling that the law violated the constitutional rights of designer Eric Brunetti. Registration for his clothing brand, which I will not... um, refer to because it is um, scandalous, had been denied by a federal tribunal. The statute on its face distinguishes between two opposed sets of ideas, those aligned with conventional moral standards and those hostile to them, those inducing societal nods of approval and those provoking offense and condemnation. A quote from Justice Elena Kagan, who wrote the court's opinion. Section 2A of the Lanham Act currently excludes immoral, deceptive, or scandalous matter or matter which may disparage or falsely suggest a connection with persons living or dead, institutions, beliefs, or national symbols or bring them into corrupt or disrepute, end quote. When applying the prohibition, the Patent and Trademark Office looks at whether the public would find the trademark in question shocking to the sense of truth, decency, and propriety. An appeal board found that this particular label was highly offensive and vulgar, according to the court documents. But because the law disfavors certain ideas, Kagan wrote, it violates the First Amendment. It illustrates, uh, to illustrate this further, she cited examples of approved and rejected trademarks related to drugs. Those seeming to endorse drug use, such as you can't spell health without THC and marijuana, cola, were shot down. Anti-drug marks, including dare to resist, D-A-R-E, drugs and violence, and say no to drugs, reality is the best trip in life, were approved. Well, in a concurring opinion, Justice Samuel Alito recognized that the government could legally bar a trademark like this particular one if it employed a narrower uh, restriction, but that was not the case here. The existing law went too far by discriminating based on viewpoint, he argued, and if I were to... um, say uh, what the word is that's emblazoned on the clothing line, we would lose our license and you would be offended. So I'll just have to leave it as vague as all that. In other news, the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled yesterday that the Trump administration's regulations on family planning funds could go into effect and federal funding will be cut off to organizations that provide abortions in the same facility as other services financed by taxpayer dollars. This regulation, called the Protect Life Rule, will stop federal funding flowing to Planned Parenthood by approximately $60 million. You can't use a facility to do both. The Department of Health and Human Services issued the rule to stop the flow of Title 10 federal funds to family planning facilities that perform abortions or do abortion referrals. This regulation means that clinics that receive federal family planning grants called Title 10, which pay for birth control, testing for sexually transmitted diseases and cancer screenings, will not be allowed to be used or rather to be housed in the same building as those that also provide abortions. And finally, in the Oregon legislature, Senate Minority Leader says, We won't, uh, you won't see Republican senators anytime soon. <clears throat> well, that's when uh, Herman, and I can't pronounce his last name, so I'll leave it alone, the Oregon Senate Minority Leader told KATU News reporter Dan McCarthy in a phone interview on. Saturday evening regarding the 11 Republican senators who walked out in defiance of House Bill 2020, the cap and trade bill. He's also, however, uh, been in contact with Senate President Peter Courtney. He wouldn't divulge specifics, but he said there were general conversations. He said even if they came to an agreement with Democrats, it would take Still take a couple of days to get everybody back in Salem. Apparently, they've left the state. The two spoke to each other on Saturday. He also addressed the GoFundMe account set up to help the senators cover the $500 per session uh, missed fine they are incurring and other expenses. It has uh, raised about $36,000 in two days. But he said they can't uh, use any of it per state ethics uh, laws. All political donations must be tracked through Star the Secretary of State's campaign finance accounting system. None of the GoFundMe donations can be tracked through the system. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming up next at the top of the hour. When we return, we'll talk with John Fortmeyer about the 25th anniversary of Christian News Northwest.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
2: I'm looking forward to a conversation with John Fortmeyer. He has been a fixture in the uh, Christian community for a number of years, providing information to those of us in the Pacific Northwest, in uh, Oregon and Southwest Washington, as the owner, the founding publisher, editor of Christian News Northwest. He is now in his 43rd consecutive year of newspapering. Um, he is uh, from the Newburg area, uh, uh, the publisher of Christian News Northwest. And before launching Christian News Northwest in 1994, which was 25 years ago, he worked 18 years as a reporter or editor at daily or weekly newspapers in Anacortes, Washington, Ontario, Portland, Astoria, uh, here in Oregon. During the initial years of the uh, newspaper Christian News Northwest, he also was director of public information at George Fox University in Newburgh for seven years, a communications graduate of Seattle Pacific University. He and his wife, Sandy, are members of Newburg Church of the Nazarene. They have four grown children and eight grandchildren. And I'm just excited to have you here today to have a long conversation about uh, the impact of Christian News Northwest faithfully providing information and uh, resource to the Christian community in Oregon and Southwest Washington. So first of all, congratulations. Well,
3: thank you very much, Georgine. It, it, I really appreciate you bringing me on here. I, I was, as we were talking before, before we came back on the air, uh, you had me on here to talk about the 10th anniversary, 15 years ago. And it just seems like the time has just gone like that. Yeah. It's amazing.
2: I have to admit, though, you don't look like that much time has passed. (laughs) You really need to work on aging because (laughs) it just isn't fair.
3: Well, thank you. you. It depends. (laughs) You should see me after some of my active grandsons visit.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's enough to wear anybody up, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, You and your... um, Opinion piece that appeared in this latest edition of Christian News Northwest, which I read faithfully. I look forward to it. I read it faithfully. Um, You you write, it's definitely not 1994 anymore, folks. I can imagine that over the 25 years. uh, First of all, you were a journalist before that. But over the 25 years that you have been producing Christian News Northwest, you've seen some sweeping changes in the Christian community and certainly in the culture.
3: Right. Um, And I've... Anticipating this question i I was thinking about the way the Christian community is today and and what it was years ago. you know here in the Northwest it's not the bible bill mm-hmm. uh, it's not like the southern u s where where uh, you know it's almost expected that you'll go to church and, and such um, i've It seems like I've heard that here in the Portland area. The estimate, and you can correct me if you know differently, Georgine, that the, the estimated size of the evangelical community here is like 300,000 people or so. I I, I don't remember where I heard that. But um, um, is, is you know, our newspaper specifically serves the evangelical Christian community. It always has been designed that way. Um, and is is the evangelical community the same as it was uh, back in 94? I get concerned because I... I, I Particularly, George Barna surveys all mm-hmm. <laughs> seem yes. to concern me sometimes because the results he comes up with are troubling sometimes, and I get concerned about uh, there seems to be a a greater greater lack of Bible literacy where the average Christian, professing Christian, uh, is not as cognizant as they once were about you know some of the basic what are, what are traditional values and and the path that that maybe they should should take as they pursue their own Christian walk. And, you know, I'd have to do a deep survey of a lot of people to find out if some of the attitudes and beliefs are the same today as they were 25 years ago. But I I just have a little concern about that.
2: Well, there certainly have been sweeping changes all across the country, but certainly here in the Pacific Northwest that was notoriously sort of independent-minded anyway, and it, it certainly had an impact on the church. So you, in covering news related to the Christian community have seen and reported on those sweeping changes over the last 25 um, years. You describe your role with Christian News Northwest as one of the great adventures of your life. Talk a little bit about your career before sure. establishing the paper, and then we'll talk about how it got started and what motivated sure. you and others to make this uh, this move.
3: Well, um, like you mentioned, I had worked for about 18 years in the quote-unquote secular newspaper field. Uh, I graduated from, from a Christian school in Seattle, Seattle Pacific University. My major was in communications. I was editor of the campus paper there. I actually had three interest areas when I graduated back in 1977. <laughs> that sounds a long time ago. <laughs> um, I was interested in, in broadcast management. I was interested in broadcast news. And I was interested in newspapering, and I just kind of asked asked the Lord. I said, "Put me where I'm supposed to be." And I wound up getting my first newspaper job. I, I wound up in newspapering. Uh, my first newspaper job was over on the Oregon Idaho border in Ontario at a small daily paper, where I spent a year as a reporter. It was great experience. Great experience. But I was anxious to get back on the the wet side of the mountains. I missed the trees and the cream. yeah, and. Uh, I went from there up to Anacortes, a uh, beautiful, beautiful city. Just gorgeous. Yeah. Thought I'd died and gone to heaven. Uh, and I was editor of the weekly newspaper there, which was tied in with the, the nearby daily in Mount Vernon. And I spent uh, seven years there. And then I spent eight years in Astoria working uh, for the uh, small daily there. Uh, first as a reporter and then as a copy editor and then as an associate editor. And then... Um, I was offered, and, and this is a very interesting chapter in, in my history, uh, I was offered a position. I, I had a desire to work in a uh, news environment that perhaps reflected some of my beliefs and concerns. And there was, you, you may remember this, Georgine. there was a attempt back in 1993 at a statewide weekly newspaper with more of a conservative slant. It was called the Oregon News Leader. And... I got selected as editor for that, but that only lasted a short time because um, uh, it was undercapitalized from the start, and there were uh, it, it got politicized and scared away some advertising. And so, uh, at that time, uh, my wife and I we'd moved to Newburgh, where we still live today. We had had four children, and I, I was a little disenchanted at that time with continuing a newspaper work because um, I sensed a growing you know here's here's the here's the difficulty Georgine. if if you're covering the news you have to have a basic framework of right and wrong mm-hmm. and i was discerning a greater difference in what i felt was right and wrong as opposed to a lot of the the journalism out there and so i was i was getting a little bit disenchanted with newspaper. And my wife and I prayed about it. And uh, I decided to instead pursue uh, a position at a Christian college. Did a national search and uh, went on for quite some time. And there were no openings, although they did like my background. But after some time, a, a small part-time position opened up at what used to be Western Evangelical Seminary, not to be confused with Western Seminary, Western Evangelical Seminary. And shortly after I arrived, and that was to do public relations and such. And that opened up an opportunity be, uh, at George Fox because about with less than a year after I started working at the seminary, that seminary merged with George Fox College to create George Fox University. And that, that opened up uh, a position at the Newburgh campus for me. Simultaneously, I got introduced to a gentleman from Canada who had started this thing up there called a Christian newspaper. And I'd never really heard of a Christian newspaper. And because I'm a Christian, and because my background was as a (laughs) newspaper man, it fascinated me.
2: Now, I'm going to stop you there, because we're going to take a break in just a moment. But before we do, I want to ask you something you said early on. Uh, You said that when you had finished your college education, I think this is important because we have lots of young people listening who are at that crossroads. You had three areas of interest, and you prayed and said, Lord... You direct me in the the area that you would have me go right. hows How important was submitting to God's will and seeking his direction in setting the course that would be the course for the rest of your life
3: well it's very important i mean for everyone if if they're serious about wanting to have a meaningful career it's it's very important uh i mean you who knows us better than our creator and and to to ask his guidance in pursuing a career path i think I think makes sense.
2: Yeah, that sounds like a wise approach. We're gonna pick up the story where we left off in just a moment. Again, talking with John Fortmeyer, so delighted and honored to have you with us in studio, celebrating twenty-five years of Christian News Northwest. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. You're listening
1: to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on ninety-three point nine KPDQ.
2: I have John Fortmeyer right here in studio. Now you may know his name, you may see his face occasionally on the in the paper, or you may see him at an event because he's virtually everywhere covering everything that's happening in order to report in Christian News Northwest. But I'm delighted to have him here in studio to just talk about and reminisce a little bit over the past 25 years. Now, just before the break, we were talking about uh, the fact that it had come to your attention in Canada that they were in the process of developing a Christian newspaper. And while today, the 21st century, it doesn't sound like that innovative, at the time, this this was a first.
3: This particular, when I first heard about this this Christian newspaper up in Canada, it had been going for several years. There was in the eighties uh, and early nineties quite a proliferation across the U.S. and Canada of these Christian newspapers. And, and like I said, when I when I first heard about them, I thought, "Well, that's that's uh, <laughs> very intriguing." And I met this gentleman from Canada. His name was Lloyd Mackey. Actually. Uh, uh, it, he, I was referred to him uh, by folks. There. there used to be a kind of a clearinghouse here in the Portland area called Mission Portland mm-hmm. for the evangelical yes. activities. And they had suggested that I, I meet this gentleman, and a delightful, delightful uh, man. And uh, he liked my background, and he asked me, Uh, well, is Portland being served by a Christian newspaper? I said, not that I know of. He said, well, would you like to try starting one? And not knowing any better, I said, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And the rest is history. Uh, In June of 19, this gentleman came down for two months to help us uh, get the paper started. And we started it on borrowed equipment in Lake Oswego. Uh, A wonderful gentleman named Carl Townsend uh, made some some, uh, equipment available to us, and we We launched the newspaper in June of 1994, uh, a very humble uh, eight-page paper, and uh, started spreading it around to about 300 churches,
2: and the rest is history. Now, you would assume that uh, a new uh, newspaper that uh, caters to the Christian community would be readily embraced and accepted by churches. Um, There was a bit of a rough go in the beginning? Well,
3: uh, it depends on, on what kind of church. You know, uh, those who analyze the religious community uh, tend to categorize churches in different ways. You have the more mainline denominations um, that uh, some, you know, I could, I could identify some of them. Um, uh, some, some Lutheran churches, some Presbyterian, some Baptist, um, the uh, uh, Congregational Churches, United Church of Christ, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then you have those that they would consider more evangelical uh, which cover a, a wide range there. The more mainline churches uh, were not as embracing of the paper uh, because for for whatever reason uh, there are differences in attitude on on a number of uh, social issues and things like that 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 uh, I was pretty naive i thought I thought everybody would just automatically welcome this paper, and I found out pretty quick that that wasn 't the case mm-hmm. but we still had hundreds and hundreds of churches uh, enthusiastic about it. So uh, even like I said earlier, even though this isn't the Bible belt, uh, we have a sizable enough community that I felt that there could support a
2: newspaper. Yeah. Yeah. Now when you find the Christian news Northwest um, it's, for most of us free of charge, and we wonder, how was that possible? How did you fund the start of Christian News Northwest, and were there challenges in maintaining that, especially in the early days?
3: Um, if you take a look at our, our current issue, our 25th anniversary issue, um, uh, I, I briefly touch upon this in my commentary. Uh, this gentleman from Canada came down, and he was temporarily doing ad sales for us, And he drummed up enough business to get ad commitments for the first issue. Okay? No problem. That was the June 94 issue. Then he started working on the July 94 issue. He got a number of ad commitments. Things were trucking along just fine. And then just a few days before we were supposed to go to press with it, for really unexplainable reasons, these advertisers, one after another, independently, said, sorry, we can't do an ad after all. And we were down to just nothing. And I was... Feeling pretty dis- disheartened about that because we needed this ad revenue to keep things going. So I went back to Newburgh and there was a prayer meeting going on at the church we were attending at that time. And I walked in and I said, uh, and, and these, these friends of ours, they knew that I was in the process of launching this. And uh, I said, I need a miracle here. If we don't get some ad commitments here in the next two days or so, there won't be a second issue of this paper. So we prayed. And like I wrote in the commentary, I'd like to say we got, you know, a whole bunch of of ad commitments. We didn't. But we got one ad that was large enough, just enough revenue because of that ad that we were able to keep the machinery going. And then by the third issue, things started to increase from there and so on.
2: Yeah. You uh, point out that 299 monthly editions later... The rest is history. That's and right. each month we can look forward to and find Christian News Northwest available with uh, current information for the Christian community in our area in Oregon and Southwest Washington. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that that one advertiser never placed a, another <laughs> ad again. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting. Uh,
3: uh, I just feel like that was the, uh, the God's special provision for that mm-hmm. that one issue. Yeah.
2: You also pointed out that you... Um, prayed and asked God for resource. He gave you just what you needed, and that that has been an underlying uh, current for Christian News Northwest throughout, not just in those days when things were lean, but throughout there's been an undercurrent of prayer. Well, um, I
3: I say in this commentary that we're as dependent on the Lord's provision today as we were 25 years ago, and that's very true, particularly these last 10 years. Um, When you talk about the mass media 100 or 150 years ago, newspapers were it. Yeah. You know, newspapers may be the town crier, and that was the extent of mass media. Well, look at everything that's been added since then. You know, uh, uh, movies came in, uh, radio came in, TV came in, uh, then the internet, and so the whole media pie has really gotten, you know, divvied up there. And so newspapers, you know, I'll be the first to admit, and here I'm a career newspaper man, I'll be the first to admit that newspapers do not have the dominance they used to in the media mix. We, We just have a a, a smaller piece of the overall pie now, but um, and maybe maybe uh, my attitude is a bit skewed because I'm I'm on the upper end of the years now. I still see a role for for newspapers. Time will tell whether whether that plays out. But um, uh, here's I get a lot of questions about the future of newspapering, and here's what I tell people: newspapers certainly don't have the immediacy of, of the web. What newspapers offer? What what newspapers offer? is a physical, tangible sense of community identity. If you're in a designated community, whether it's the evangelical community in our area or a town like Newburgh or or Gresham or whatever, if you see the hometown paper around there, it provides a sense of community identity that stands out in a way that a website never will. Mm -hmm. A website gets lost in the zillions of websites. And I'm not putting down the value of, of... of websites. I mean, I, I read the web as much as anybody. But I still, there's something about the tangible presence of a newspaper. I'm just an old newsprint and ink guy.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I no, I certainly enjoy it. I look forward to it. I wait for it, and I make good use of it. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation. Again, we're talking with uh, John Fortmeyer. He's the publisher of Christian News Northwest. He's also a founding editor.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show Podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Continuing my conversation with John Fortmeyer, you should know that he is the publisher and editor of the Christian News Northwest newspaper based in Newburgh. He's a native of Seattle. He graduated in communications from Seattle Pacific in 77, edited the campus newspaper there, spent the next 17 years as an editor and reporter for several small daily and weekly newspapers in Oregon and Washington before launching Christian News Northwest in 1994. It has a monthly circulation Of about 32,000 copies throughout Western and uh, um, Washington and uh, Oregon. Um, The paper uh, was tied with two other newspapers for second place among the nation's best Christian newspapers in 2005 Evangelical Press Association. Uh, John is a member of the board for the Fellowship of Christian Newspapers. It's a Uh, He also spent several years as director of public information for George Fox University. He and his wife, Sandy, married in 83. They have four grown kids, one granddaughter, and uh, are members of the uh, Newburgh Church of the Nazarene. Um, Christian News Northwest is celebrating 25 years of faithful service to the Christian community, and we are just celebrating along with them and just honoring you, John, for your fortitude in Ah, uh, continuing to provide great information through Christian News Northwest all of these uh, these years. Well, thank you,
3: Georgine. You, you've you've always been a, a great friend to to me and to our operation. As an example of of how things change over the years, I, I think some of the information you had there might be a bit dated because you mentioned the one granddaughter. We now have eight grandkids. So, oh
2: my goodness. Eight? Eight. Well, I've got to update. (laughs) I've got seven grandkids mad at me right about now. (laughs) Well, congratulations for for that. We've been talking about uh, Christian News Northwest, how it started and how it's uh, being sustained. I think a lot of people wonder that because, um, you know, the the newspaper is delivered here at the station. You can find it at your church. You just pick it up. You you walk off with it and you can spend some time working your way through it. How do you support the work of Christian News Northwest that covers such a wide range of Of events, just like uh, almost all the newspapers out there, it's through
3: advertising, Mm -hmm. paid advertising. And if you, our newspaper has a very traditional newspaper format. Uh, We have the, the like I say, the ads that run throughout the paper. We have the pages with what I would call straight news reporting. Uh, We have an opinion section. Uh, We have an extensive events calendar. uh, in, In like I was talking with you before the break, uh, um, uh, very, very extensive events calendar because we really try to keep up on everything that's happening within our circulation area here. Uh, We have uh, uh, classified ads. We have uh, uh, features like a a focus on the family column and a monthly cartoon. You know, it's just a – and it feels like a good old-fashioned newspaper when you pick it up.
2: Yeah, I like that newsprint feel, and you open it up and you right. know, spread it wide and right. have an opportunity uh, to read. Now, Christian News Northwest isn't the only newspaper that has attempted to inform the Christian community over the years. Christian uh, News Northwest is the only one still standing, but there's a history of others who have made the effort. This, this <laughs> absolutely humbles
3: me and amazes me. Um, in the 25 years that we've been publishing this newspaper, within our circulation area, of Western and Central Oregon and Southwest Washington, there have been 14 other attempts at a Christian newspaper or magazine. Now, uh, some of them have been more specialized, like maybe one was a Christian youth paper or one was a Christian uh, music magazine, et cetera, et cetera, But they all targeted the evangelical Christian community. We're the only one that has survived. Out of fi- 14 didn't make it, we're still here. And, and to
2: what do you attribute that longevity?
3: Well, I... I I really don't take credit for it. We've prayed through many, many obstacles. I do have some ideas on on things that might be factors there. Uh, one is that we have always strived to have a professional feel to the newspaper, mm-hmm. uh, to have it attractively laid out, and and to... Uh, it's not inflammatory in tone. We try to be even-keeled in the way we report it. Now, do we have a bias? Yes, we do have a bias in that we... we Look at things from the evangelical perspective, but we try to keep the opinion in the opinion section, and we we try to be fair in our coverage. And I, I think it's it's allowed a a level of trust to develop that really encouraged uh, the paper to survive.
2: Yeah, a newspaper without an agenda, but to inform, edify, and report. Right. Now, when I think of Christian News Northwest, I think of John Fortmeyer. If I'm at an event, I look up and there's John Fortmeyer. What kind of a team do you have? That works on producing the paper that comes out once a month. Every uh,
3: every newspaper these past ten years, uh, because of the the increased competition from other media sources, primarily the internet, has had to trim its staff back. Um, in our case, uh, we have a part time production person who assists me on on some of the the layout things. Uh, aside from that, I do most everything. Uh, but you know that's not a that's not a hardship because there is such a huge flow of information because of email. Mm-hmm. E- email revolutionized newspaper, and because of the flow of information that comes in, and uh, the challenge is to fit in even a portion of the news that you get.
2: Yeah, yeah. Sorting through what to, what to post, what not to post, when to uh, post it, and so on. Now, one of the things you don't do is uh, personally distribute the newspaper, and one of the things you did in your. Um, your uh, piece is you praise those who actually, the wonderful people who actually distribute Christian News Northwest uh, every month. How does that happen? You mean, you produce the paper, but it's one thing to have stacks of newspapers sitting in an office. It's another to get them to where they need to be. Actually, I, I do st- still uh, a
3: small amount of the distribution. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I need to take a sip of water here. I'm fighting those allergies that are out yes. there right <laughs> now, Georgine. Um We have a team of about, a dozen people who get out there and just physically distribute the paper for us. And they are so dedicated. And our best distributors are often senior citizens because they have the time and the inclination to do something that they consider meaningful.
2: Yeah, yeah. What would you say is the primary um, purpose of Christian News Northwest? What What do you hope to accomplish by producing a newspaper every month? Um, I want to make sure that the, the evangelical
3: community is well-informed Uh, On things like religious freedom issues, Uh, comparing the way things were 25 years ago with the way they are now, religious freedom issues are are paramount. We have to to keep on top of that. And that's why you'll find a lot of information in our paper when it comes to, to issues of religious freedom. We also just want to generally encourage and inform the community. With good stories about the great things that are happening in ministry,
2: and we're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation. In fact, we'll conclude our conversation coming up in our next segment. Again, talking with John Fortmeyer, he is the owner, the publisher, the editor of Christian News Northwest, that has served served us well for the last twenty five years. It's hard to believe it's been that long, but uh, I'm so grateful for your consistent service. Uh, to us all. Quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we'll be back.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: I'm continuing my conversation with John Fortmeyer. He's the owner, the founding publisher, and editor of Christian News Northwest. They're celebrating their 25th year of publication here in Oregon and Southwest Washington. When you look back over the last 25 years, is it is difficult to believe? Um, As I would imagine that for 25 years, um, this uh, newspaper has informed uh, the Christian community uh, as consistently as it has.
3: Well, as you might imagine, Georgina, I've got, uh, when I arrived here, I was talking with your very friendly receptionist out there, uh, uh, young lady there, and trying to describe to her what these 25 years are like. And uh, I've got literally thousands of memories because we've had thousands of stories in this paper about how God is working in our region, hmm. and uh, it's been—I can truly say that—as uh, challenging as it has been, these past twenty-five years doing this paper have been far more meaningful than the eighteen years of secular newspaper work that I did, which I enjoyed. But but this is this has really been most meaningful.
2: Yeah, and it really began for those who are just joining us. It began as a young man graduating from um, Seattle Pacific and saying to God, these are three things that I'm interested in. You order my steps. You guide me. You lead me in the direction that you would have me to go. And that is such a wise prayer for a young man uh, to pray. And you could not have imagined then the circuitous route that would lead you ultimately to a 25th anniversary of a Christian newspaper that has reached um, thousands and thousands of Oregonians and Washingtonians. Well, when when I graduated from college, there
3: really wasn't such a thing as a Christian newspaper. Mm-hmm. C- certainly, there was Christian radio, but uh, the concept of taking taking a newspaper and and making it uh, oriented toward the Christian community was was really n- not much in in vogue yet.
2: I mentioned um, earlier in the column you uh, wrote in Christian News Northwest, the latest edition. You say that Christian News Northwest has been one of the great adventures of your life. In terms of your personal faith, how has the uh, this impacted uh, your relationship with the Lord, your understanding of his provision and his call on your life. Um,
3: but when you attempt to do something that, uh, and, and from the outset, there were, there were a number of people that were skeptical that this thing would, would fly. Uh, but when you attempt to do something that, that you feel is a calling, uh, and you just place it before God, and you say, uh, as, as the challenges come up, which they will, uh, when you just say, Lord, your will be done, it's up to you uh, whether or not this venture continues, uh, and and you see the answers to, to prayer. The first, let me just, just give one example. Um, I talked a, a few moments ago about our network of distributors. Well, they are terrific folks, but <clears throat> each of them can't do it forever, And, you know, uh, with all the routes we have, there's a pretty constant need to find new people. Mm -hmm. I desperately needed a distributor in Clark County several years ago. I I just had no leads whatsoever. And I had no time to pursue any leads like that. Out of the blue, out of the blue, I get a call from a business owner in Clark County who'd heard about the paper, asked, uh, wanted information on it. Asked how she could get it delivered to her, to her uh, place of business, and I ex- explained that uh, we were. I meant I happened to casually mention that we were looking for a distributor, and she said, "I'll do it." <laughs> and I mean, it was it was it just exactly the the need being met when it needed to be met. Mm. And uh, I just just little things like that that happen over and over and over.
2: You mentioned earlier in our conversation and also in the column that you are as dependent on the Lord's provision today, as you were back in 1994. Mm-hmm. And that has undergirded the work of Christian News Northwest from the very beginning. That's that's
3: correct. Uh, we've
2: always sought
3: to have what we do properly represent the Lord. And in order for that to happen... Uh, We needed to let him sustain it.
2: What do you see uh, as the future of a Christian newspaper like this moving forward? We're in the 21st century newspapers of various kinds. And we talked about this a a little bit a few moments ago. Mm -hmm. Various uh, newspapers are, are, for lack of a better word, are dying. Uh, This niche newspaper has continued to thrive. Do you see this as a medium moving into the future uh, that gives the Christian community a sense of... um, of, of togetherness, if you will, of uniformity, a better sense of shared identity and purpose? Well, from my,
3: you know, my perspective is is definitely biased. I think there's a need for this kind of paper for the evangelical community to continue. And uh, time will tell, uh, you know, uh, years from now, whether, whether it still does. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I still see a role for newspapers um, because we provide... Uh, News that there uh, that our readers are unlikely to get mm-hmm. anywhere else. As long as that need is being met, uh, I think I think there's a, a good chance that that a paper like ours that serves a very specific niche can
2: continue. Will continue. Now, during the course of 25 years, there have been stories that have been unflattering to the Christian community that are controversial in terms of their content. How challenging has it been to be true to your your core in reporting on events that? Um, again, uh, highlight the uh, the fall perhaps of of members of the Christian community, or uh, times when we have not uh, responded as well as we ought in various areas.
3: I can affirm that the stories that I least enjoy putting in the paper are the ones that that involve real failings on the part of of, of self self proclaimed followers of Christ. An example would be and and. We've had, from my perspective, too many stories like this about, for example, problems within churches where uh, maybe a, a child has been the victim of a, a sexual abuse situation. I have pleaded more than once. I have pleaded editorially in the opinion section, that, which is where we, mm-hmm. we keep the opinion. I've pleaded to churches, get your act together. Please make sure that that your security lines are, are covered, that you're not going to run into these kind of problems. We, we find no joy in reporting on those kind of problems. Um, But, you know, I I think it's important that we as Christians acknowledge when we have these weaknesses in our community. We can't just sweep them under the rug and pretend, pretend they're not there. We need to acknowledge... Acknowledge the problems and prayerfully seek solutions. And uh, I mean, a, a good newspaper is going to reflect the
2: good in, in a community and the, the, the challenges in a community. Yeah, yeah. Now, I don't want to assume that all of our listeners are familiar with Christian News Northwest or nor with, know where they can find a copy. Again, it comes out every month at the beginning of the month, if I'm not mistaken. Uh-huh. Or, mm-hmm. um, what's the best way for listeners who maybe haven't had access uh, to find Christian News Northwest?
3: Well, we distribute at about 1,900 locations uh, from Clark County all the way down to Eugene Springfield, from parts of the coast all the way over to Central Oregon. So if they're within that area, and uh, if a church is, is evangelical in its orientation, there's a good chance that it will have our paper. But if if they have a, a problem finding the paper, just email us or phone us, and we'll We'll do everything we can to find a a local uh, distribution point. And, of course, the paper is also available for home subscription for $25 a year.
2: Yeah. Uh, And the website's very helpful um, for contacting and catching up on What's happening? I love the events section that provides an extensive list of things that are going on in the Christian community. If you want to know what concerts are going, look look in Christian News Northwest and chances are you're going to see information about some of the concerts or conferences that are happening. Who's coming into town? You'd love to hear an editorial from Dr. James Dobson, for example. You can find that in Christian News Northwest. It really is uh, full of all kinds of content that appeals to and informs the Christian community in a very thoughtful way. And uh, John, once again, I just want to say congratulations on 25 years. I'm looking forward to the next 25. I fully expect I'll be reading it from the nursing home. <laughs> I'll find myself in another year or two. And uh, just want to thank we'll you. Maybe we'll need
3: to put out a large print edition. <laughs> there I don't
2: know. You go. Either that or I'll get a magnifying glass. Thank you so much for faithfully serving our community. You are, have had a significant influence, and I appreciate your faithfulness. And uh, following God's call, I'm sure there were times when you might have felt discouraged or or maybe even tired. I've, I've had that experience as well. But you have continued to serve. And I just want to say, on behalf of the Christian community, thank you.
3: Thank you, Georgine, very much.
2: Again, John Fort Meyer. Thanks for
1: listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice show and like us on Facebook.